0: You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Are you awake? Can we give our worship team a round of applause? Just tell them thank you for leading us in worship. Good to see everybody. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Braden. I'm the senior leader here at New Life Church. My wife and I live in Lubbock right now. Cody Sykes and his wife, stacy they're the campus pastors here at this campus. But we're, if you're new here, we're just really, really glad you're here. Can we give all of our first-time guests a round of applause? Let them know we're glad they're here. Right. And let's just go ahead and, and, and get this out. Like I'm, I'm fully aware that for many of you, you woke up this morning and you prayed for the first time in a long time, and you said, Lord... I will literally do whatever you tell me to do if you'll just help the Cowboys not lose to the 49ers. And you felt like you said come to church and you're like, yes, Lord, I will follow thee. So, uh, Lord, bless the Cowboys and all their obnoxious fans in Jesus', in Jesus name, so. No, we're super, super glad you're here. Uh, I'm excited, excited about the message this morning. I really genuinely believe this. I don't say this every time, but I genuinely believe that there's something in today's message that don't, won't just eventually change your life. It has the power, has the ability to change your life immediately. I love that about the word of God. It, it is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I believe it's gonna move some things in your life once and for all today. Uh, I, you need to know this, that half the success of this message is on you. You have to be believing that God has a word for you, that his word works and that there's an anointing in the room that your faith even to come to church and to hear from God and to draw close to God. It's literally drawing the best message I've ever preached right out of me. So let's just get our faith out there, amen? Amen. 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 Well, if you would just get your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter one, Uh, we're gonna jump right into it. I I did feel just a bit impressed to go ahead and just tell you, if, if you're new to this church, maybe even new to this type of church and earlier Tracy you know, did such a phenomenal job uh, in our ministry time. And, you know, we, we have people raise their hands and oftentimes we'll say, hey, church family, gather around and, and go pray for them. I think one of the things that we believe if in the safety of a church building where people believe like you believe, if we don't help you break the ice and break the uncomfortable things of going and praying for someone, I seriously doubt the Lord is going to tell you uh, in a convenience store someday to go pray for them and you're going to have the courage to do it. And there's no better place to practice things like this than in the church. We're, we're not here just to make church attenders, we're here to make disciples. That, that is the command. And so we're, just, we're really anxious uh, in a good way to, to help you on that journey, break through some of those barriers. Maybe you've never prayed for someone, never, maybe you've never laid hands on someone before. We're also a church that God, believes that God still does miracles. Uh, and that today it's not just about hearing a message, it's about receiving the power of God in your life for transformation. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word of God can transform your thinking, but, but so can a miracle, so can an encounter with God. And so we're just believing that you have that today. Uh, Galatians chapter one, let me just give you a little bit of background on Galatians chapter one. Most theologians believe Gal- Galatia, the region of Galatia, was a church that was pioneered, started uh, by the apostle Paul. Uh, after he was converted, it was one of the many churches that he helped get going. And so this, this letter, to the Gala- it says Galatians, but it's to the church at Galatia, he's writing this letter. Uh, when Paul shows up on the scene the first time, excuse me, and is planting this church there in Galatia, uh, the, the only acceptable religion, if you will, there was pagan, uh, paganism, of course, but there was the acceptable, if you will, God-following religion, was Jewish, the people were Jewish. And so everything was about the law, uh, obedience according to the law. And so after Jesus came and, and fulfilled his role, we had access to this new covenant of grace. The Apostle Paul was radically transformed on the road to Damascus, had this incredible encounter with the Lord. And so he began to preach this new covenant and go into these areas that were Uh, in some cases predominantly Jewish, and he began to teach them, it's not about works anymore, it's about faith. It's not about what you do, it's about what he did. You're not gonna make it, you're not gonna get there, you're not gonna see the things in your life that you wanna see just because you're good. If by faith you can receive what Jesus did, you have access to everything Jesus deserved by simply having faith in what Jesus did for you. And so he comes preaching this radical message, this radical gospel of grace to these these Galatians, and, and many of them hear this this message: They're saved. They're born again. They buy into, if you will, this this concept of the new covenant, and and. J- Paul was again. Paul went around planting other churches as an apostle, and then served as what you might say a spiritual father or an apostolic father over these churches. And so occasionally he would hear reports, or he would go check in and see how the church was doing. And one of his primary roles as an apostolic father over these churches was to seek the Lord. Oftentimes, by the Spirit of the Lord, you can you can know as fathers. Sometimes yeah, you, fathers and mothers. You know, sometimes you just know something's not good with my kiddos. Something's not right with this or something's not right with that one. Same thing in this world. Paul sometimes would pick it up by the Spirit. Then other times it, it was like he, he just heard. Someone threw the grapevine. Someone gave a report. One of the leaders of the church sent it to Paul and said, Hey, man, we're, we're dealing with some issues over here. Can you speak into this? Well, Paul had started hearing some rumors that this, these, these people, these Galatians that had, had bought into, had signed up for this new covenant and were, were all in, had started to sway a little bit. They had started listening to... Uh, Some people, that were saying, no, it can't just be faith. It's got to be faith plus this or faith plus that. And uh, I want to read to you here in Galatians chapter 1. This is him writing a letter (coughs) to the church there at Galatia. Starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from our God, or, or peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he starts off pretty good. You know, he's just encouraging them, you know, grace and peace to you. And it starts off really, really nice. And it, it, didn't, it didn't take him long to fire up the weed eater. He, he was not happy about some of the things he was hearing. Verse six I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there even is one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel that's contrary to this one you receive, this gospel of grace, this gospel of the new covenant of Jesus, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This goes on. That's just how he starts the letter. But this goes on for about five and a half good chapters where Paul is coming very, very strongly against the church of Galatians and saying, hey, what the heck were you thinking? You know, everybody loves the Jesus laying in the meadow with the lamb and how soft and gentle and kind he is. But every now and then, you know, you, you need a, a Paul in your life that just, hey, what the flip are you guys doing? You know, that's the Brave International Version, but uh, I, I think it translates. And, and, and just he's just like, hey, what in the world is going on here? This is not... This is not what we're doing now. I explained this to you. Jesus came. He fulfilled the law. It's not about the law. In fact, he had even heard rumors and found out that somebody amongst them, he called him a poison. He said somebody amongst them was even trying to convince him to go back to circumcision. Well, you, you, you can be saved, but you've got to believe in Jesus and be circumcised. And Paul gets so mad about that. He says, you know, whoever this joker is that's saying this, I wish he had circumcised himself. I mean, he's getting serious. He's talking some, some serious matters here. And he's just, he's really, really going at them. And the, the bottom line here in this particular story, Judaism was acceptable. The gospel of grace was not. This gospel of Jesus was, was hard for people to wrap their minds around. And you know how human nature oftentimes is when you hear something that's new or that you don't understand, you're, you're, you're a little tempted to reject it. You're, you're tempted to be skeptical. And so these, these, these people, these poisons, like Paul called them, Paul leaves town and like wolves to sheep, they, they come in there and they're like, "Nah, no, nah, you still have to do this. You still have to do that. And all of a sudden pressure from man. And that's why he said, are, are we here to please man? Are we here to please God? What, who, what are we doing now? And, and, he, and he's pretty strong with them because the, the, the point is, and the bottom line is they just quit, They were on the right track. They were going the right direction. All of a sudden, pressure comes. Pressure comes from people. Pressure comes from their friends. Maybe pressure comes from their family. They're they're on the right track, but the pressure comes, and the pressure causes them to give in. The pressure causes them to quit. The pressure causes them to stop pursuing and believing in what Paul taught them, what, what he taught them about Jesus and the new covenant. Can we just be honest? Anybody else in a situation where pressure comes, things got hard, and the temptation was there just to quit? The temptation's there to give up. The, the, the temptation's there is just to, to throw in the towel because it just gets, it just gets difficult. I um, my whole high school life, from, from the time I was a freshman, actually since younger than that, like a lot of little boys, I wanted to be a pro athlete. And so I knew that before you could be a pro athlete, you gotta go to college and you, you want to get a college scholarship. And so once I got to high school, I lived in a small town. And so you, I played all the sports and basketball, football, baseball track, did all the things. And uh, at the time I just, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get a scholarship. That's what I wanted to do. And it took me till about my junior year before I really realized that baseball, that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted to play college baseball. And even my senior year transferred to another school, private school, to really focus on baseball. I wanted a scholarship. And, um, in, in high school, especially if you go to a really small school like I did, if you're good enough to play college athletics, you're probably like, you're like the man on campus. Like, you are the man. And so I, to be quite honest with you, my junior and senior year, I, I was walking around like, yeah, I'm, I'm, kind of the, I'm kind of a big deal. People kind of know me, you know. I, mean, I don't know if you saw the newspaper, the Post-Dispatch, you know, big newspaper around here, you know. Um, so you kind of deal with some of this stuff, and then what's crazy is then you go off to college, and what's, I, I actually, my senior year, I'd finished my senior year, I'm playing summer ball, still no scholarship, kind of sweating it, because I, I wasn't like I was some blue-chip athlete by any stretch of the imagination. I, I, was the, I barely squeaked in, and, but I had a college coach literally follow me to the bus after a game uh, that summer, and said, hey, we've been following you. I just watched you play. For the, I've been able to watch you play several times now, and after watching today, I feel like you're, uh, supposed to be a part of our program, literally right there in the parking lot, like something out of a movie. I was getting on the bus, and he pulled me back off and offered me a scholarship right there in front of all my friends watching. So, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but I just got a junior college offer. You know? But, um, so I go, I go to play. I'm, I'm so excited. I got a scholarship. I'm going to get to play baseball. And the funny thing is, is I, I actually, the, the, it was Midland College uh, is what it was, is where I got to play. And it was actually, I was a part of the first ever co- school, or first ever baseball team in the history of college, uh, uh, Midland College. And junior college obviously is just freshmen and sophomores. Being a new program, the coach that came in, he only had four transfers that transferred from another, another school. So we only had four sophomores and 38, I think, 40, 36, I think it was 40 of us, 36 freshmen. So this is 36 people who also were the biggest deal at their school. They were also the biggest deal. And so we all show up and we got to figure out who's the bigger -er deal, you know? And to make a really long story short, for two years, I was not the bigger -er deal. Uh, I played some, I, I got to play some and I did all right, but I didn't, I wasn't a key starter. And, and, more significantly than the fact that the, maybe athletically I wasn't there because we had some really good players on the team. and I'm not saying I should have been playing. I probably should not have been. Uh, but the, the first two years, that was a difficult thing, but not nearly as difficult as the pressure of dealing with my coach. My coach, it's like, it's like on that parking lot, you have that image of like, oh, I want you, I need you, you're supposed to be a part of this program. And you're like, he, he loves me. Like, he loves me, he wants me. And, that is not the coach that showed up the first day of practice. And uh, long story short, I found out he's a, he was an atheist. I was a Christian. There was all these problems. I mean, it was just an absolute train wreck disaster. I, I remember one time um, in baseball, every, in the dugout, they'll put the roster sheet on the dugout. And the roster is to show you the batting lineup, who's starting, what position, what the batting order is. And then they'll put the subs on there. So every person gets their name on the, on the sheet, but it just depends on, you know, where you're at in the lineup. And, uh, I remember I got picked off uh, one time. I was on first base and left-handed pitcher. You don't care about the stuff. It's not a big deal. Uh, I get picked off, right? And I'm telling you, before I even got back to the dugout, the coach had sprinted to the dugout and he didn't, he didn't cross me out of the lineup. He, no, no, that was not nearly significant enough. He literally took the pen and scratched a hole in the paper where my name used to be. And by the time I got back to the dugout, Where I once was on the starting lineup was just a hole. I didn't even belong on the team anymore. Like, and I could tell you story after story of just humiliation of of things where we just didn't get along. And it it was just, honest to God, it was one of the worst two years of my life. And so after junior college, a lot of players, you go on and play, you find a four-year school, you try to get a scholarship to a four-year school as a transfer, so on and so forth. I'm telling you, after two years of junior college, I wanted no part of baseball. I wanted no part of athletics. My dreams had been smashed. (laughs) I didn't want anything to do with it because little Mr. Big Shot from Post, Texas, got some colored ink in the Post Dispatch, showed up to Midland College, and it did not go the way I thought it was gonna go. Anybody ever had a situation? Hopes are up here. Reality fell somewhere down, down here. And you're like, to heck with this, I'm out, I'm done. That was me. And I'm so thankful I had uh, a dad who, um, he said, look, there's so many colleges out there, so many different types of coaches, you gotta stick with it, you gotta give it another shot. Decided to give it another shot, got a scholarship at a school in Tennessee and the next two years could not have been more polar opposite. Incredible time, incredible coach, uh, had a lot of success there. And. Uh, But I'm telling you, after those first two years, the temptation to quit was there. Every single one of us, at some point in our lives, we're gonna face that temptation when things don't go the way we thought they were gonna go. We're gonna face this temptation to quit. This church in Galatia, they had a good thing. They had the best thing. They had the gospel of Jesus. Perfect, pure, amazing. Pressure from the outside is causing them to question, doubt, and eventually even quit doing the things that they know they should have done. And we find ourselves in Galatians chapter six, after five and a half chapters, Paul's telling these Galatians, reminding them of who they are, reminding them of what they've been taught, reminding them of what they should be doing, not to pursue the works of the flesh, but follow the spirit, you you guys can do this. One of the most famous passages of scripture, I should say famous verses of scripture, I wanna focus on this for the next 20 minutes and 56 seconds. Galatians chapter six, verse nine, it says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. In due season, we will reap if we don't give up. I want you to just turn to your neighbor and say, don't quit. No, turn to your other neighbor and say, no, no, seriously, like don't quit, don't quit. Um, in this very short verse, in verse nine here, I, I, there's at least three, I'm gonna talk about three very distinct points. Uh, that this, this scripture uh, outlines, and I think they're going to help us. I believe they're going to help us. Number one, what is right is not always easy. What is right is not, not, what is always, not always what is easy. Uh, I think this is probably one of the scriptures that I've, over the course of my life, I've struggled with for this very reason and the concept of don't grow weary in well-doing. If he says don't grow weary in well-doing, you just need to know you can be doing everything right and you can grow weary or he wouldn't have to tell you don't grow weary. I don't know if you know this or not, if you've experienced this or not, you probably have where like you feel like you're doing the right things. You know you're doing the right things. You're living, like, you're living your best life. You're, you're following God more passionately, more diligently than you've ever followed him before. You're doing the things that you know to do with everything in your heart, yet things still aren't going the way that you thought they were going. And even times where you did the right thing and maybe somebody's response to you was not as favorable as you had hoped. You're excited about something, you share it with your family, they're not nearly as excited about it as you are. You're excited about something, you share it with your spouse, they don't seem nearly as excited about it as you are. It could be a litany of things where you can be doing the right thing, but you don't get the, a, a very favorable response. In fact, you get resistance. You get pushback. You get pressure. And that's that pushback, that pressure, that whatever that is, when you're doing the right thing that's gonna eventually cause you, that's one of the tactics of the enemy. He talks about him wanting to wear down the saints. He wants to resist you. He wants to push back against you until you quit, but you have to understand, this is the scripture, one of the the tensions has been this scripture. I don't know if you've ever heard this scripture, says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Well, if you're like me, there's been times in my life where I thought I was doing the right thing, but it did not feel easy, it did not feel light, and I'm left to wonder, am I doing it wrong? If his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and I don't feel easy or light, There must be something wrong with me. I I don't want to focus on that particular scripture. I just would simply propose to you, the language in that scripture says, my yoke is easy, my burden. Let's just acknowledge the fact that he does call it a burden. (laughs) So let's just acknowledge that. There may be things you go through that are burdensome. I think the more significant thing to acknowledge about that passage of scripture, or that verse, if you will, is not necessarily what work is being done, but who you're yoked to. I propose to you things are much lighter and much easier when you're yoked with him, doing it in his strength and not your own. So I, I would propose that potentially this concept of a, an, a, the yoke being light, this uh, yoke is easy, his burden is light, might have more to do with who you're doing it with than what, what exactly you're doing. Because as you read the rest of Scripture and you look at the heroes of the faith, you can see many seasons in their life that don't look light and don't look easy. They were doing good, they were doing everything good. Start with Jesus, the one that did everything right, that did everything good. He starts off his ministry being baptized into the ministry, a voice from the heaven, his own God himself cries out, says this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's confirmed on earth, baptized, confirmed. And what's the very next thing that happened? He's led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wilderness tempted by the devil does not sound like light and easy to me. Those are not easy things to navigate. He goes on. He's pre- early on in his ministry. He's rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth. He's, he's abandoned by some of his disciples. He's preaching a message one day. He's got a couple hundred of his disciples around. He's preaching this message, and it's such a hard message for them to understand. All but 12 get up and leave and say, Deuces. I'm just going to give you a little perspective from the stage. If right now, all of a sudden, while I'm preaching, all but 12 of you got up and walked out, that's not going to feel light and easy to me. So for my sake, please keep your seats for the next 16 minutes and 11 seconds. <laughs> Y'all walk out when Tracy comes up here or something like that. I don't know. I'm just kidding. That's what happened. Jesus is preaching. People just walk out on him. They try to throw Jesus off a cliff all the way to the cross where he's in the, in the most vulnerable uh, season and, and issue that he's ever dealt with, all but one of his disciples turns on him. He was doing everything right, but that does not sound light and easy to deal with, the rejection of people who are supposed to love you, who are supposed to be faithful to you. Carry the same thing out with Paul, the Apostle Paul, Paul shipwrecked, stoned, and I, when I say stoned, I'm not talking about the left-handed cigarettes, I'm talking about rocks, like... <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Some of you are like... Hey, Carried the threes for us. Anyway. Oh. No, literally th- stoned with rocks and, and, and not just, And it, they said they stoned him with rocks and drug him out. They didn't just throw rocks and say, okay, he's learned his lesson. They thought they had killed him. They drug him out of the city to rot. <laughs> that does not sound light and easy to me. What, what is, make this a little more personal. What are the things in your life? And I think this is where we're going to spend really the bulk of our time Because I want to acknowledge that there are some things that you're going to go through. There's there's seasons you're going to navigate. There's situations you're going to navigate as a believer where doing the right thing is not going to be the easy thing. Doing the right thing is actually going to be extremely, extremely difficult. And you're going to find out very, very soon how much you're willing to sacrifice in order to be on the right side of certain situations. As a, as a dad of, of young girls, I've got 16, 13, uh, 16, 13, and uh, three, 16, 12, and three, uh, the first thing that I think of when I think about the, the pressures of doing the right thing, even w- when, the, when the wrong thing is much easier to do, is when I raise kids. It's going to be very easy for you to cave, to give in to culture as it pertains to your children. Now you just have to give me a little leeway here because I, I, I want to be your pastor, I want to help you. But this may step on some toes and I, we believe in healing so we'll pray for your toes later. But uh, I, I want you to understand something. Our culture's values for our children are nowhere near the same as the values that the Word of God has for our children. What our culture is, says is okay for little girls to get to wear to school or wherever else and what the Word of God says that our little children should, and little girls should be wearing, they're not even close to the same thing. Can, are we okay if we just talk about some real stuff? It's, it's, it's tragic watching dresses get shorter and shorter and shorter and we're as parents supposed to say, that's, well, that's just the style. And God forbid we wouldn't want our kids to be out of style we don't want them to be mad at us. We don't want their friends to make fun of them. So, well, if that's what Lululemon says is the right size, that's the right Lululemon, right? <laughs> Freaking Lulu. <laughs> now, but what I'm saying is, and, and here's, here's where I'm going with this. My wife and I included, we've, we've noticed as you're raising kids, and what does the Bible say? Train your kids up in the way that they should go. Mom and Dad, you're supposed to know. Your job is not to bring your kids to church so that the pastor will tell them how to live their lives. It's your job to come to church, get the Word of God in you, so at home, you're leading your family. And and from being led by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God working through you, you're supposed to look at even situations like what my daughter's wearing, how how my young son is talking to or about other women, other young girls. Our culture is, letting, is leading us to believe that it's okay for girls to dress like this. It's okay for them to look like this. This is just style. And it's okay for our young boys and our young men to sexualize them, objectify them as a thing, as an it. I, I'm, I'm My 16-year-old daughter, she's got a, she goes to a Bible class and we're, we're navigating this class and uh, they're learning about marriage and husbands and wives and husbands submit to your wives. And it's interesting because some of the, the things that are coming up in class and what some of their, her classmates think is right and wrong. It's just ruffling some feathers because just in case you're wondering, I'm trying to raise some strong women who believe that they have the spirit of God on the inside of them. And so, and, and I'm trying to exemplify a father who, who's not trying to force my wife into submission. I'm finding it easier that if I get like the scripture says in Ephesians five, if I give up my life for my wife, submitting to me is very easy because I've given up my life for her. Because that's what the whole scripture says, in case you're wondering. So she's hearing this language that's somewhat belittling, belittling women, and it's rubbing her the wrong way. Some of the classmates saying certain things about what women can or can't do, and it's rubbing her the wrong way. See, we should be raising our kids in such a way that when culture tells them what they should be, it rubs them the wrong way. When culture tells them this is fashionable, this is not inappropriate, it's fashionable, it should rub them the wrong way. First of all, it should rub you the wrong way. And let me just tell you this, this, this is a tough one. This is, this is a very, very difficult one because the, the enemy is after the sexuality thing more than, any, more than anything I see right now. He, he, he tried to just pervert normal sexuality and then eventually we've gone to, you can be any sexuality, then you can... Name your pronouns, which I don't even understand. That's, is that even a thing? How is this even a thing? I'm watching an English teacher on an Instagram reel, which I don't know why I'm scrolling through an Instagram reel, watching an English teacher, how she's teaching her English class to call her they. It's this confusion about their sexuality. Their, it's this mass confusion. The enemy's after this one right now, and it's like a wave beating against the side of a wall. It's not going to stop. That wave is not gonna stop. There's gonna be pressure, as a parent, there's gonna be pressure on you to cave into culture on how you're raising kids for the rest of the time you have your children. And we're gonna to have to decide, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm not gonna let culture dictate what my kids should or shouldn't wear. I'm not gonna let culture dictate when my kids should or shouldn't have a cell phone. Not just Not cult- I'm not gonna let... Uh, Whatever other parent and their values are. No, wh- well, I'm led by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you what the standard should be on how old your kids should be when they get Instagram or whatever the things are now. And uh, well, Here's what I am going to tell you. You better not be asking other parents first. You better be asking Holy Spirit first. You better be looking at your, at your children saying, are they ready for this? Spirit of the Lord. The, the, what, did, what did Jesus tell the disciples about the Holy Spirit? He said, when the Spirit of truth comes... He will lead and guide you into all truth. That means all truth about your children, all truth about when they need a cell phone, all truth about how they should dress, all truth about which school they should go to, all truth about which, which kids they should be allowed to hang out with. It might, you might be instantly very unpopular the first time you don't let your kid go to a certain party because at that party, the parents provide the alcohol. You hear me? If we don't talk about these things in church, when are we gonna talk about them? It's not easy though. It's not easy to be not popular. It's not easy to be talked, when you know for a fact people are talking. It's also not easy when your kids are crying because all the other kids get to do one thing and they're crying because you're the big bad wolf that do not want them to have any fun in their life. Let me just say this be their parent right now and you'll earn the right to get to be their friend later. Parent first. Friend later. Obedience first. Let's talk about this later. I, I'm telling you, I've, I'm experiencing this right now with my 16-year-old. It's like there's some things, some values that we stood on. I, we got pressure even how we're raising our kids. I, I remember early on, so much pressure, even from people that say, say they mean well. And One time one person, hey, I want to take your daughter when Susanna, I don't know, Four, and they said she was four. Hey, I wanna take your daughter to see the Hannah Montana movie. This was back when it was Hannah Montana. And I said, man, we just, I don't know, we're just not feeling good about Hannah Montana. And I mean, she just, just ripped us apart. Like, oh my God, what is y'all's problem? Like, I can't believe it's just a movie, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, it wasn't, wasn't anything wrong with it then, but 10 years later when she came in like a wrecking ball, I bet you weren't saying the same thing. <laughs> You saw a video, <laughs> bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes, get it? You now, Man, I, this, is such a, this is such a hard thing for me to navigate. Look, can I just be transparent with you about something? I'm not here to judge Hannah Montana or any other pop star or whatever, but I'm going to tell you what I have. A, more than I don't want to judge them, I don't want to cut you short on training you how to steward your family and raise your kids the right way. And I think for too long the church has been a little bit soft because we've got to be careful with saying certain things. And I'll, we, Did you know you can walk in love and 100% disagree with someone? Yeah. That's actually okay to do. Hey, you know, I love you. I just, I don't like that. Hey, you know what? Don't take this the wrong way. My kids actually aren't coming to spend the night at your house. And now you don't have to tell them the fact that you discern that the dad's a creep. <laughs> but you better be listening to that still small voice that's saying, uh uh Not that house. And as soon as you do stuff like that and don't give an explanation, here come the waves of pressure. Why not? All the other kids are going, and your kid's gonna be the first one there. You hate me. (laughs) You just must hate me. No, no. I love you. And I'm gonna be your dad. I'm gonna be your mom right now. And it's not gonna be easy to go the path that we're going, and it's not always gonna be popular. It's not even gonna always be accepted. We got to remind ourselves, Galatians six nine. Don't grow weary in well doing. Don't grow weary in well doing. Don't grow weary of doing the right thing in your marriage. Don't grow weary of doing the right thing with your finances. So many people that's the that's the biggest kicker. Their biggest break, the thing they need breakthrough the most in is their finances. But when things get tough, the first thing that they cut out is their stewardship of their finances towards the church with the tithe and generosity. That's like ah, the Lord will understand. It's not about him understanding. It's about him having principles that will work if you don't grow weary in well doing. And in due season, you will reap if you do not give up. But again, pressure, pressure, pressure. Uh, you're going to have pressure at work to not be ethical. This is a big one. Very, very big one for me. You're going to have pressure at work to do things that you know are not the right thing to do. Several years ago, I was working for an old company uh, as a, as a uh, leadership consultant and was supposed to be in there helping them develop some processes and different things. And um, when I when I hired on, I'm be honest with you, it was a great job. It was a lot of money, and I was I'm like, okay, this is this is the life I was made for. You know, this is this is this is where I belong. And um, it was it was nice to have that margin. It was nice to have that extra income. It was, it was nice. And I was there was a kingdom approach to this whole thing and what God was doing. And but you get in there and. All of a sudden, I, I remember th- this one supervisor came to me. She wasn't my supervisor, we were actually co-supervisors. She used to cover the, the division both ways, or all across the board. They divided it into, I took this part, she took this part. Well, as she's training me, she came to me one day, and she goes, hey, I just, I just need to tell you something. Um, this one report that you see that you're supposed to do, uh, these numbers, we make them up. And I said, what do you mean you make them up? It's like, well, we know that there's certain people that wanna see this, that, and this, and the other, and it's really a lot of hassle, and it's not that big of a deal. So we don't, really, we don't really actually record those things like we say we do. We just know what the numbers should be to make sense to everyone. So we just make these numbers up. And I just need to know, I know you're a pastor and whatnot, but I just need to know, are you, are you okay with, are you okay with this? Extra money, the life I was made for or my clean conscience. The values of the company, the values of the kingdom. I'm gonna tell you, it's not gonna be easy. And sometimes to do things God way, God's way, with fear and trembling, you're gonna have to be willing to lay your job, your money, your family's wealth. You're gonna think it's your family's welfare. The enemy's gonna come and say, hang on, hang on, don't, don't, don't. Matt, we got a good thing going over here. You got a good thing going over here you start barking up this tree, you start trying to say this, you start trying to do that, that you will not get promoted, you will lose your job. If you don't get promoted, if you lose your job, how are you gonna take care of your family? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? We all deal with it because the the values of the world could not be more different than the values of the kingdom. And that is when you find out who is my provider, Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah the company I work for. Who is my provider? Who is in charge of taking care of me? Men, listen to me. You're gonna feel the weight of your family on your chest because I, I'm, again, I've worked, I've had my own company, sold my own company. I've, I've, done, I've done the oil and gas thing. I know what's going on out there. You know what's going on there. Every single day, your ethics are put out there to say, let's, let's see what he's gonna do on this one. Is he gonna do the right thing or is he gonna do the profitable thing? I'm challenging you right now. Let me, let me just say this too, just so you'll know what this feels like when it shows up. Oftentimes people think faith looks like this. I got this, I'm, I'm full of faith. If your chest is out that far, you ain't, that ain't faith. That is not, I'm gonna tell you what faith looks like. Faith is, oh my gosh, I cannot believe, I cannot believe I'm fixing to have to make this decision. I could get fired. I mean, sick to your stomach. Not before you're supposed to have a meeting where you're gonna stand up for the right thing. You're sick to your stomach, you're queasy. You're thinking about all the enemy's just bombarding you with thoughts of, this could cost you this, this could cost you that. Let me tell you what faith looks like. Faith looks like a sick stomach because you find yourself at that point where Lord, if you don't fix this, it ain't getting fixed. But not my will, yours be done. It's that moment of anguish where Jesus was faced with right before he went to the cross and he, he's, he knows what he's supposed to do. And in his flesh, he's like, I, this cannot work out right. This cannot be the right thing. It, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture of, of what's really gonna happen out there in the faith world when you start saying, I'm gonna advance the kingdom and live by faith. I want you to know what it feels like, what it looks like, what it sounds like so that you're not caught off guard when it shows up. It's not gonna be easy. It's not easy to take the hard road. It's not easy to take the straight and narrow. The Bible says very few people choose that road. You need to make a decision right now. I will be one of those. I will be one of those. And with fear and trembling, with a pit in my stomach, I will do the right thing. I will have ethics in my business. I will not cheat on my wife. I will stop looking at pornography. I will raise my kids the way that they're supposed to be raised. I will continue to tithe even when it doesn't look like it's supposed to, it's gonna work out. And if I tithe, I'm gonna have to do, I'm gonna do the right thing because Galatians 6, 9 promises me that there's gonna be an opportunity for me to grow weary and well-doing. But if I won't quit, if I won't quit, say it out loud, say, if I don't quit, I will reap think about the magnitude of this scripture. He literally says, don't grow weary in well-doing. You're going to face all of these challenges, but in due season, this is a big part, in due season, in due season, you will, I I will just tell you this, God will almost never be early to you. God will never, almost never show up early. I just want you to be prepared for that, because there's never going to be a time where you're like, you know what, I could have used that promotion five years from now, but it just showed up today What in the world, you know. It's really not how this thing works. And I had the Lord say this to me when I was just praying over this message and I had that phrase, in due season, in due season, in due season, I had the Lord say this to me. He said, if you'll stop making appointments, you'll stop being disappointed. You know the number one reason we give up? It's because it didn't, something didn't happen when we thought it was supposed to happen. It's the time thing, it's it's, well, but I've been, I've been tithing for at least, man, seven hours. I mean, I, I, this should be working by now. I, mean, I prayed for a whole minute over this headache and it is not, uh, it must not work. I must not have no faith. The Bible says through faith and patience. You know what patience is? How you handle time. Through faith and patience, you inherit the promises. Stop putting appointment, saying, hey, Lord, there's this thing, this breakthrough, this promise, if you could Amazon Prime overnight, that sucker, I'd be great. I'd love to see this thing first thing in the morning. We're always gonna think due season is now. But you have to give, you, you have to let God be God. And say, so you know what, due season is when you say it's due season. And you know what I need more than I know what I need. And no matter what happens, between now and the time that thing shows up, I'm gonna choose to believe that something happening or not happening is for my good. And one thing I won't allow to happen is in the middle of this, this, between the time the seed gets planted and the harvest shows up, what I'm not gonna allow to happen is that I stop believing that you're good. Well, if God's good, why did this happen? No, no, God's good. He's faithful. He never leaves. He never forsakes. His word is true. Galatians 6, 9 says, uh uh-uh, no, I'm, I'm reaping. In due season, I'm reaping. I ain't quitting because I got a harvest coming. You will reap. In due season, you will reap. You will reap. It's a guarantee. Will. Say it out loud. Will. Not might, not potentially, not if a few things work out. You will reap if you don't quit. I'm pleading with you not to quit. I'm pleading with you not to quit on your marriage. I'm pleading with you not to quit on spiritual family. That is one of the things, especially here in the Bible Belt, more people have been wounded by the church. And can I just say this, and this one's gonna sting a little bit, so just bear with me. We'll get some neosporin on it later. Most of the things that you think you were hurt by, they were, not most, I should say, many of the, the Lord corrected me, said it's not always most, Many of the things that you think were done to you, they were actually done for you, but your orphan spirit could not receive correction. Your orphan spirit could not receive instruction because your identity was not yet in Christ. Your identity was still in you. And someone said something that seemed like a little bit of correction and shame came all over you. You didn't wanna feel the pain of the shame anymore, so you just left. Don't give up on spiritual family. I don't care, how even if they have done you wrong. I, I've had that, I've had people do me wrong. Me and Liam were talking about this the other day, we've had pastors, leaders in our lives where. at they now they live the most isolated lives. They don't have relationships with their church members. They don't talk with their church members. You can't, the Gestapo's rushing them out to the green room as soon as they're done preaching. You can't talk to them. You don't know the names of their kids. They don't, you, you have no connection. And you know why? Because they started off like a lot of other pastors do, out in the foyer, shaking hands, loving on people, inviting people over di- to dinner. And then someone left their church. And then someone else left their church. And then someone started a rumor and somebody hurt them in the in the in the body of Christ. And they said, you know what? It's easier to stay isolated. It's easier not to get vulnerable. It's easier not to connect. I've seen it. I've watched it. Doesn't just happen with pastors. It happens with you too. You've been in the church, you were plugged in, you were serving, and somebody did something, something happened, and this stuff does not work. And you know what you did? It's like an arm being amputated from the body and it's shriveling away and the clock is ticking to get that sucker back attached to the body so that the blood can start pumping again and giving that life back. And you think you're protecting yourself and you're killing yourself. You cannot, have you ever noticed this? There's not a single organ in our entire body that can do do anything on its own. Not one, and neither can you. News flash, You're going to get disappointed, somebody's going to hurt your feelings, and it won't just be you being sensitive. somebody's going to be a jerk. It might be me. I mean, rumor has it I flattened a tire if somebody parked wrong, I understand. I've done stuff I don't recommend. <laughs> can I just Can I just say this? I won't give up on you if you won't give up on me. And that should be the commitment for every single person in this room. My hope is not in you. My trust is in you. My hope is in Him. My trust is in Him. But Him told me to love you. Him told me to connect to you. And no matter how many times I've been hurt, no matter how many times I've been disappointed with church or spiritual family or whatever, I'm not gonna give up. Because the fruit, the reward, you will reap if you faint not close with this scripture i i I missed this in the first service and i was kicking myself for missing this hebrews chapter 11 starting in verse 1 says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen for by it the elders obtained a good testimony by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of god so that things which are seen are were not made of things which were visible by faith abel offered to god a more excellent sacrifice than cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts and through it, being dead still speaks. Well, you read that scripture. Look at you all in the spirit. We're like right here, like ESPN stuff. Um, verse five, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had his testimony that he had pleased God. Now, right here, pay attention. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to him must believe. If you're going to draw close to God, this is not a a conditional. You must believe this. You must believe that he is, meaning he is God. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Wrap your head around this. The Lord gave me this phrase. The beauty of what we're talking about and why if you don't quit, you're going to reap is, is found in this scripture. Why? Because he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Listen to this. Your reward is not in your perfection. Your reward is in your pursuit. That is the beauty of the new covenant. I'm not rewarded, and I'm not, re- I- I'm not favored, and I'm not blessed because I get it right every time. Because some of you are sitting here thinking, well, I have given up on some things. I've done it wrong. The Bible says if I, I'll reap if I faint not. I've fainted like 40 times today. I've given up like 40 times today. That is the beauty of the new covenant. You're not rewarded because you were perfect. You are rewarded because you are in pursuit. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Seeking him is faith. Faith activates the new covenant, not obedience, not perfection. Obedience is a fruit of faith. You believe something enough, the obedience begins to follow. But I'm not rewarded because of my obedience. I am rewarded because of my faith. Lord, I think I got that wrong. I probably shouldn't have flattened that guy's tire, but I'm still following you. Lord, I, I know that was a little sarcastic and that was a little short and I shouldn't have said that to my wife and I know I was not very uh, uh, fruits of the spirit, patience and long suffering with my kiddo. That was not what I just did right then. Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me, but I'm not gonna stop following you. And my reward is attached to my following, not my acting right. My reward is ta- your reward, your fruit, the reaping. It's in the pursuit. Not in perfection. Some of you don't think you even deserve the reward because the enemy bombards you constantly with all the areas that you've missed it. Let me just tell you some good news. Jesus never missed it. He never missed it one time. And he chose to give you what only he deserved, which is every spiritual best blessing in heavenly places. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to RenewLifeChurch.com.